Hope y'all are staying sane and healthy. This is Collapse Talk, and my name is Gabriel. Welcome back to episode 12. And yeah, so let's just dive right into it. So still, you know, we're in the midst of this pandemic, coronavirus, and uh, I mean, things are holding up, at least from my end. But yeah, no, everything um is, at least on my end, is holding well, holding up. Uh, I'm staying active. Still staying inside, but you know, start you know trying to be more productive and uh, just trying to have a routine at least. I think that's what's gonna help me get through this. And I have, I have been at least you know just trying to uh, do stuff um, and also focusing on schoolwork. That's also uh, that's kind of interfered with my productions. But uh, well, not only that, just more like motivation. But you know, still. Just trying to keep it together and stay focused on the path at hand. But yeah, school has been working out and I have at least a couple of weeks left or I think this is actually the last week before my summer courses start kicking in. So I'll have a break there. But yeah, this has been easy going at least or, you know, I've been trying to make the best of it. And, you know, considering all the news that's going around, you know, things are going well and I hope things are going well for y'all as well I'm actually about to head down to Houston today I'm in Huntsville but I'm going to head down to Houston and take care to care of some family business so it'll be interesting to see how things have changed in a city like that it's a pretty big city so I'm just curious to see what would happen when, when I go back uh, but yeah so let's just keep going into it um, speaking in our uh, natural format we'll start with our first segment being the international news and of course just in general talking about this pandemic and how the rest of the world is handling it because here in the united states we're not handling it well just you know speaking matter-of-factly but uh the rest of the world seems to be at least right now kind of bouncing back or at least handling it uh you know the latest reports out of italy and spain are promising they're not as jury as before uh Still, you know, we don't want to call it too early, but, it, you know, it seemed that, you know, they were on the verge of collapse and now they're starting to hold it together. Uh, and also just in general, Europe is doing well. Um, however, speaking about Sweden, they've had, they, they, they kind of did something differently where it wasn't on the level as the United States, but still like they just didn't lock things down or they were just trying to have that herd immunity uh, theory and supposedly now people are starting to get sick and dying in uh, Sweden so I mean we'll see if that actually works out for them although I do have hope that their healthcare system is you know going to be able to handle it because I mean for the most part the United States it just has you know doesn't have the best healthcare system um, but yeah uh, Europe was the epicenter and starting to at least settle down um and i mean i'm i'm speaking mainly just from what i understand of it you know i can, I can make predictions all day but at the end of the day i don't know what i'm talking about this is just purely observations uh and there are concerns now that it's going to spread and continue to spread uh outside of europe you know in china at least uh they they tried to uh release and 
you know, open things back up. And now those cases are starting to creep back in again. And then they had to lock down another city. So, yeah, I mean, everybody's so eager to get back to work. Or I shouldn't say everybody. But the, you know, the the people at the top, they're so eager for everybody to go back to work. You know, productivity. And they're so eager for everybody to spend and consume. So, yeah, I mean, it's definitely going to lead to some kind of depression, global depression, possibly. Uh, however, we are just going through the motions because people are still thinking that this is done. Like, OK, like that was kind of scary, but, you know, now we can calm down like this isn't over. This is just the beginning. And now there's talk of it like being a seasonal thing, COVID-19 being a seasonal uh, infection or outbreak which we'll just have to see what happens really i mean i, I can't make a prediction about what's going to happen uh but i can speak i can well not speak with authority just like just taking the worst case scenario and how bad things have gotten to this point i, I wouldn't doubt it if the second outbreak occurs sometime soon so i mean dr fauci he's saying the following winter are going to be pretty rough. And I completely believe him. Um, but yeah, it doesn't really bode well, at least for the United States. Because then again, you know, I, I mean, other countries are just holding up fine. Like Vietnam, they had fewer than like 300 cases and zero deaths. Like they just completely locked down the country and took all the precautions, all the measures in place. And... They're doing fine. And now they're opening up again. And I mean, Vietnam isn't like... It, oh, I've never been to Vietnam. But just from the images that I've seen, it's like similar to like countries that I've been to, like the Dominican Republic, where it's very like, uh, at least in the cities, very chaotic and very dense and compact. So the fact that, you know, they didn't have a major outbreak, it speaks to mainly just their organization and the, the people you know the citizen citizenry just understanding that okay this is you know an outbreak a disease we got to listen to the people the scientists the doctors uh stay home so yeah i i, I my theory is that the reason why the united states can't handle a crisis situation like this is because we've had it so good for so long like when was the last disease well, the last disease was the Spanish flu. Like, at, at this level, you know, people wearing face masks and social distancing. Like, that that was it. That was for, like, an, at least another hundred years. Everything else uh, seemed to hold up or just, you know, it didn't get to that level. And I'm sorry. My rat is chewing on something. But, um, yeah, the United States has been pretty soft when it comes to, like, pandemics and just in general, uh, different uh, outbreaks. So we didn't, we never had to deal with like a disease like this for a long time. But you know, places like China and Taiwan or uh, Vietnam, they've had several outbreaks with, with diseases like this. Not that I can, you know, point out specific ones, but you know, like countries like that, developing countries in those areas, they are not necessarily susceptible, but they're used to it. And they, they at least they have that uh, cultural knowledge of, OK, take this seriously, you know, so and they, like they understand what to do, what, you know, um, 
So, I mean, I, I'm not, I can't speak for every American that's like that. It's just, you know, our experiences. We've been lucky to not have to deal with those hardships. And now that luck is running out. So, yeah. So pandemic, depression, uh, we're looking at possibly the next Great Depression. Again, at least in the United States, and it possibly could precipitate to the rest of the world. And what do I mean by that? So what I think is happening is that, well, I shouldn't say thing. Well, you know, it's just people are upset at China right now. And for good reason, you know, like I don't want it to seem like I'm giving China any like slack because they have fucked up. They fucked up big time. Just not to the degree that some people want to take it where they purposefully infect the planet to weaken us. I mean, they could have. You know, I'm not saying that that's out of the realm of possibility. It's just as it stands now, I think it's more just incompetence on their part. Because, I mean, the Chinese government is fairly incompetent. So I have no doubt in my mind that this outbreak occurred because of their incompetence and their lack of understanding on how to deal with this. And we're not even just, you know, understanding. They just suppressed it and you know, tried to ignore it, tried to hide it. And then when it was too big to ignore, they started deflecting or they started projecting. Um, so out of China right now, there's huge, uh, there's a huge row between China and African countries or you know just the African citizens in China. Uh, the, their relations were, you know, almost fell through. You know, there was reports and images and just different, you know, footage of you know, African citizens, well, I shouldn't say citizens, residents, really, in China uh, that were discriminated against, that were corralled and pushed out. And there were, I mean, there's one uh, footage of, like, just a guy just being attacked. I mean, it wasn't like he was lynched, but, like, it, it, it was very close to it. I mean, like, they just kept beating on him. And it just speaks to the level of xenophobia in China, or at least, you know, in the country i mean not to say that all of the people there are like that it's just that it's prevalent it's there like that's just to say that xenophobia doesn't exist in other countries is just false it's just wrong um yeah so there's been xenophobic attacks there and uh prejudice and discrimination against uh black people against africans um in fact there was like you know, a person trying to go to McDonald's and then the, the you know, all the signs saying, you know, oh, we're not going to serve black people. So it's just like, it's just straight racism, it's straight xenophobia, straight discrimination. And those relations between China and African countries like Kenya and, you know, wh whoever, because, uh, you know, let me backpedal at least. Um, China at least is now starting to have a greater influence in uh, Africa within countries such as Kenya or, uh, you know, well, I guess just Kenya. That's just the first one that comes to mind. But they have, they've had a huge uh, footprint there, or at least they're starting to build one. And it's just part of their uh, economic colonialism, I guess you can call it like that, that, that model. You know, the same model that they have here in the United States where all these corporations and all these different uh players in the, the the market the economy they owe money to china you know it's still kind of like the same thing in africa it's just tenfold you know so 
uh, from what I understand is that they would go in and they would say make a deal and so they would build say a bridge or some uh, infrastructure and it's owned by China so that bridge is owned by China but they allow the people to use it to to you know at least export materials to China I'm not doing the best job of describing this but it's there that that um that model of economic colonialism is there between the Chinese and African countries so now with this discrimination of course you know having that economic activity there's plenty of Africans who decided to go to China immigrate there to work to teach to you know start a new life and then they're facing this row of discrimination and racist attacks so yeah they those relations just almost fell through and like there was like a point where they almost held like uh, Chinese citizens hostage or yeah so that was you know, happening there but it's just a part of a greater wave of anti uh, Chinese relations that are starting to grow and you know look I'm all for uh, knocking China down a peg but I'm not for uh, xenophobic and racist attacks against the Chinese I think that's a very like that's a thin line that we have to draw in the sand and say look this is you can criticize them for but this is going too far so I think it's important to say that so you can absolutely criticize the evil actions of the Communist Party absolutely I'm full that for that hundred um, percent and if you know you could have constructive criticisms over the culture and how uh, certain traditions you know I'm not I'm not a cultural relativist you know so if there's something objectively wrong I'm just going to speak out against it. So, of course, like there was uh, infanticide, you know, the reports of infanticide. So if uh, a family, specifically, a, you know, a rural family with under the one child or, you know, the under the population control policies that they had in the past, infanticide was huge, rampant, because if you had a female, um, you know, if you, you gave birth to a daughter, it was deemed like just less or unworthy. So chances are they would kill that baby or you know just leave it out in the middle of the wilderness uh because they wanted a male a boy because it's at least it's deemed favorable i don't know i don't know the the proper uh connotations but now what's happened in china is that there is like a greater population of men than there is to women and the same problem also persists in india too um and that's just one example i just wanted to at least you know say something to that degree but you know it's those it's those little things where you know okay this is wrong this is right um, so I digress but then again uh, yes yeah, so the world turning against China um, just be careful not to lean into xenophobic xenophobic attacks but I mean they have it coming to them I mean they you know as I said I don't think because there's a lot of rumors that this virus, this outbreak was conjured up in some lab, some weapons, bioweapons lab. And I'm not going to rule that out entirely because honestly, at this rate, like anything could be possible. Like I just, yeah, I, I don't know. This is like the Twilight Zone these days. Um, but, you know, if that were the case and that mean that, that would be grounds for war. I mean, that's just, that's grounds for World War Three. And so and many people are already arguing for that. 
even if that wasn't the case. Um, so, I mean, a lot of people are angry with China, and for good reason, but, I mean, not for the reasons that are sensible, if that makes sense. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I think we're slowly... Because I said a couple of podcasts before, and, again, I make these projections all the time, these predictions, but, really, I don't know what I'm talking about. I just have historical context. I'm not even a historian. I'm just a student with a microphone. I, I just... Uh, I see certain patterns, and... You know, I can at least, you know, possibly draw a timeline of what may happen or at least, you know, a certain scenario there. But, yeah, I mean, you know, I know for one thing that this pandemic, this outbreak is the end of the United States if Donald Trump remains in power. Um, and I'll elaborate more on that later. So that kind of, you know, takes us down a peg on the global stage and then somebody else has to rise to the occasion which could be china it could be anybody really so i I, you know all these projections you know they're just projections i mean i I don't know the future so there's that um and also just you know the economic impact that china has with the world because there are they they're the great exporter we take all their raw materials or actually no we send them raw materials and then they give us goods that's why that's what i meant uh but yeah i mean what's going to happen now i mean they manufacture all of our goods and if there's a economic row a political row between us then we're going to have to manufacture all of our goods which honestly i think is for the better i think that's why our economy is facing such a hassle as it is now because our economy is a service-based economy so it's mainly like you know restaurants and foods and uh going people going to the theater or you know going to resorts you know it, it requires that people spend and consume that's what our economic model is based off of and yeah so with that case being the case we have to you know we're not manufacturing the products as we used to so we have to import them from elsewhere um being china you know and china has cheap labor they don't have unions or labor laws as we do so like they can do whatever they need to do to make the product and to sell it to us and hey well it wasn't one of ours who had to jump off a roof you know so that sort of thing um but also it's just other places around the world that are facing economic pressures uh, from China. So mainly Australia. I was reading about Australia. They wanted to uh, launch an international inquiry or you know some kind of independent uh, investigation into the handling that China had with this outbreak. And now China is threatening to. It's economic coercion. You know they're just threatening you. Know, you either you do this or we're going to retaliate. So already now you see China starting to. Uh, you know, they they feel backed up into a corner. The rest of the world is pissed off for good reason, and you know, like to me, China is like the guy at the party who like who spills the punch, and everybody's pissed off at him, and then he gets back into a corner. And he's like, what, what? And then he just slowly gets more uh, unreasonable, violent. So, like, you you want to be careful with 
how you handle China, how you retaliate against China, because you don't want it to seem like, oh, we're you know going to actively threaten you. But at the same time, like, this can't stand. Like, this is unacceptable. I mean, yeah, I mean, they're, they're a big bully. And they're going to, if they see an opportunity to strengthen their foothold in the region, they'll take it. I mean, there's concerns about Taiwan right now. And the carrier groups that we have in the region. Um, so as you know, that the carrier group, the Theodore Roosevelt and other ships in the area, they had an outbreaks of coronavirus, COVID-19. Uh, we had that captain who resigned from his post because he leaked out that there was an outbreak. And actually now they're, they're, they're talking about possibly reinstating him, which is, you know, for the better. And I think that just shows the integrity that they have compared to other people in our government. But as I, as I said that, this outbreak temporarily, you know, decommissioned the ship, the carrier group, and now the Chinese are, you know, maneuvering to that. Which, you know, it makes sense, you know, if you have an adversary and they're being affected by a pandemic and one of their ships has to, you know, take care of some business and they're distracted, then yeah, you're going to reposition yourself. You're going to, you know, take that advantage because you most likely aren't going to get that again. Uh... So it's just interesting to see how, like, because we talk about, like, global unity, global this and that, you know, we got to come together. And then stuff like this happens where, you know, even though we talk about unity, we're still going to make some moves and try to strengthen our position. So, I mean, that's just, you know, what's happening there. But then again, you know, I don't believe this will lead to a hot war with China. I certainly do believe that this will lead to a cold war, though, or some kind of just adversarial uh, standoff between China and the West. But yeah, so that's happening there. And also just China has, you know, influence outside of economics. I mean, they're like basically blackmailing the World Health Organization, who they are... uh, I mean, I, I, it's unsure or it's not necessarily like pointed out the amount of influence that they have, but it's there. Like they had that instance where um, the WHO official was talking about the outbreak of the disease and they asked a question about Taiwan as uh, Taiwan handled the outbreak very well. Uh, they possibly, you know, just as good as South Korea. I mean, you know, they're an island, so it's at least easier for them. I apologize if you had birds. Um, they, um, at least were, you know, they're an island, so they can at least hold it together, maintain who comes in and out, but also just the, the, the testing, the testing is the main thing, you know, figuring out who is sick and then figuring out who they've been in contact with in the past, testing those people. And if they're positive, tracing back and forth. So, I mean, it's like. Because so many people keep defending, and not necessarily defending Trump, but defending at least, you know, the lack of preparation, which is just unacceptable because, we, like, we absolutely could have been prepared for this. We're the United States of America. You don't think we can be prepared for COVID-19? I just, I find that hard to believe, really. Because this isn't a disease like, uh, you know, 
like the contagion movie is not that kind of disease because in that event i mean that's just extraordinary unprecedented um i mean it's a horror movie really that's that's why it was so bad in the movie at least but i mean that's not what we're facing right now it's still a deadly disease don't get me wrong i'm still very afraid of it and you know texas is now going to reopen uh may 1st so i'm eager to see what's going to happen and i'm going to try to limit my exposure to the outside world but i need to at least go get some groceries before that uh, lockdown is lifted but it's uh it just goes to show that it doesn't really matter where you're from or you know what the country is it's just basic preparation basic testing it's common sense it's common sense i mean who knows i mean you can talk about this all day it doesn't change the fact that we're already in this mess so i mean you can mill about it all you want but now we have to move forward and yep um but yeah so speaking real quick at least for other major outbreaks um because the united states has been mishandling it of course for obvious reasons um, I want to speak also about another uh, country that's been mishandling this, and it would be Brazil. So Brazil is possibly going to have the worst outbreak in South America. I mean, they're... Uh, I haven't necessarily looked at the projections, or at least I shouldn't say the projections. The, the projections are, aren't grim. They're, they're not they're not good but as it stands right now i'm not sure what the actual count is the death count the infected the infection rate it would be safe to say that whatever that number is right now it's certainly higher than that so yeah it's gonna be nasty and you know you have bolsonaro Jair bolsonaro who is or is it Jair? yeah he uh he's the president He's a fascist, far-right fascist president of Brazil, uh, making uh, just outrageous claims that like, oh, we're Brazilians, we've been exposed to so many diseases, so this is not, this is nothing, or yeah, just pretending this is a hoax. I mean, this is like, this guy is, this guy is Trump, but more unhinged. Like, if Bolsonaro was president in of the United States and Trump was president of Brazil, I would want to move to Brazil. That's how bad Bolsonaro is, you know? Because, um, I mean, Trump at least is just, like, silly or... I don't know. I don't want to jump into that. I mean, they're just... They're too... They're... What's it called? The bird of a feather flock together? Yeah. yeah. So, it's just... Yeah. Um, but they're projected to have the worst outbreak. And... Just recently, actually, one of their ministers of justice, Sergio Moro, he stepped down. So that like prompted some protests and that uh, prompted, you know, some backlash. Uh, it's just interesting to see the whole situation unfold in Brazil because Brazil is, uh, it's, it's anarchy light, if you want to call it. Because there's just some areas where it's absolutely clear that the government's not in control. Um yeah, I mean, we heard that one report about the favela gangs, the militias there enforcing enforcing the uh, lockdown and curfew stricter than the police. 
I mean, the police don't even go in there. If they're going in there, it's because they're going into a firefight. And that's how severe those favelas are, those slums are. Uh, so those gangs and militiamen have to enforce the curfew there. And I was also just reading about the regional differences between Brazil. Because, you know, it's easy for me here to look at Brazil and just assume that it's all Amazon rainforest. But it's not the case. Um you know, there's different areas of it, there's different uh, populations and cultures, so you can't just assume that what you hear about in Rio is the same as in uh, Sao Paulo or, I'm actually, let me look at my map, uh, Macapa. Yeah, I mean, just different cities there, but what I understand is that uh, states, because it's, it's organized in states and provinces, so uh, states in the south, they're more geared towards Bolsonaro, from what I understand. Uh, not to say that they're not taking the, the precautions there, or at least some people are. But when it came to like the election, I mean, people in the South kind of voted for him more. Or at least they're just not, they're not taking it seriously. And in the North, from what I understand, or what from what I've read, is that um, governors and uh, government officials there are starting to form a coalition and at least are trying to allocate resources with each other. Uh, so what's happening, you know, look at the model of Brazil and then you can take that to the United States because Brazil is, they're kind of, it's the same thing is kind of unfolding in both countries. So you have a failure of the federal or central government. So Trump, Bolsonaro, completely failing their people who supposedly elected them there to protect them and guide them, lead them. Uh, they've completely failed. And not just the president, because the president, he's just a figurehead. He, he's just a person. But it's the different mechanisms and different levels of that government. They're just not in sync. You know, it's like, say like your body it has an infectious disease. And so... Your immune system has a response to it. But imagine for a second that your body's trying to respond to it, but then your immune system is doing something else, and then your hormones are doing something this and that. So it's just it's complete chaos because nobody's in sync. You know, probably not the best ex explanation. But what I mean to say is that the central body of the government is failing, is starting to become dysfunctional. And so what you're having is these regional governments, these regional states and cities, these towns are starting to at least coalesce and ally themselves. And they're saying, basically, okay, if they're going to leave us to die, then we're going to work together and help us, you know, keep each other alive. Um, which honestly, like, when the government fails you, what else are you going to do? You're going to have to depend on your neighbors and sort this out. Uh, it's just interesting to see that because the next step to that is, okay... You haven't done anything to help us and we still have to pay taxes or we still have to do this for you. No. And then that's when you get the separatist and secessionist movements. Uh, so, I mean, speaking in Brazil, at least and, you know, in the United States, that that sort of thing is starting to happen. Uh, I know that the Western states on the Western coast, California, California, Oregon, Washington, They've formed a coalition uh, and also 
states like New Jersey, New York, in the Northeast, they've also started forming their own coalition. So now you're starting to see like small unions forming, which is like, okay, good. Like that's good that the states are forming unions, but we already have a big union. So let's just keep that and work from there. But of course, as I said, the central government is failing. The federal government is failing. So the states have to take it into their own hands. And, you know, I'm not necessarily like a state's rights kind of guy where like it's up to the states to decide their own fate. Like, I'm no, I'm not for that. But I can understand that in a situation like this where the federal government is failing, it's just it's it's on the brink of collapse, really. Then that's when states have to take matters into their own hands. But then the problem also arises when these different coalitions, these different alliances, they come at odds with each other because they're not coordinated with themselves. I mean, you know, it's not to say that the Western states are going to be at odds with the Mideast states just naturally from the get-go, but the fact that they're not uh, at least coordinating or at least, you know, allocating resources with each other that is going to lead possibly to a row uh, because those resources, when they become depleted, the competition rises and it's every man for himself. So, or every state, I should say, for himself. It'll just turn into a battle royale, uh, sadly. So, you know, this idea of a second civil war is starting to become very real right now, but it's not even like a second civil war. It's just, it's more like a warring states period, you know, like, uh, like at the end of the, the Han Chinese dynasty and in those three states periods or th three kingdoms, you know, that, that sort of thing where the, the empire falls apart and collapses and then whoever's left to pick up the remains is left to fight over. Yeah, I kind of went on a tangent there, but my whole point being that you're seeing, you know, the outcome that's going to happen in Brazil is most definitely going to be what's going to happen to the United States, or at least very likely. And I hope Brazil pulls it together. I just, I don't know. I'm very uneasy about them. I'm more worried about Brazil than I am in the United States. If that makes sense. Um, but yeah, so moving onward, um, we were talking about China for a bit and for a long time, actually, with this show, I was like super into the Hong Kong protests and then it got sidetracked. Well, most of the world got sidetracked and just the events unfolded. But I at least wanted to revisit them because some events transpired. So like over the weekend, uh, some activists, some 15 activists were arrested by Hong Kong police. And they took that opportunity while everybody was distracted from coronavirus to do that and strike and again you know like when you see the behavior of the hong kong police it's so like juvenile it's juvenile and there's no control it's all about i am the authority and you shut up i'm gonna curb stomp you i'm gonna kick your teeth in you know that, that sort of thing it, there's just there's no reason you see all these images in this footage and it just boils your blood and it's like like what why was that necessary why did you have to knee that person in the, in the neck like so it's just it's all about authority and like cracking down then again you know it also has to do with just the hong kong police 
they're not necessarily from Hong Kong at this point. Like, what's been noted is that in Hong Kong, they speak a very specific dialect, Cantonese. So when some of these officers, when they talk, it's very obvious that they're speaking Mandarin, mainland Chinese. So a lot of these, I mean, a lot of these cops, quote unquote, police officers are actually just uh, Chinese enforcers, which makes sense about the, the violence and aggression because these enforcers, they know nothing else but violence and aggression and you know, they have no repercussions. Nobody, they're actually rewarded for it. So, yeah, that, that sort of situation is occurring. And, you know, they were trying to at least enforce. I mean, now they're trying to enforce, like, the social distancing rules. So any kind of gatherings immediately broken apart, uh, stopped. Uh, and, I mean, the same sort of thing is going to happen here. Because, well, it, it's so... Uh, I'll talk more about protests in the United States. Let me continue with Hong Kong. Um, but yeah, so I mean, these protesters have been, of course, demanding oversight with the police and all just, uh, less encroachment from China, from the mainland. So, I mean, it's just gonna, I, I don't know, like the fact that this hasn't exploded into a violent revolution speaks to the patience of the Hong Kong people because like, it's, I mean, it's been a war zone. It's been a war. It's just there hasn't been, like, shooting in the streets and bombs yet. But, like, this is a war against the police. Or the police are waging a war against the Hong Kong people. Or it's just... The city is just under siege with itself, if that makes sense. And they've been demanding to close borders with China. Uh, the executive there, Carrie Lam, he is, she, she hasn't been listening to that. I don't know. Like... I, what this pandemic is showing is just incompetence on all levels uh, of government, not just the United States, just the, the whole world. Just it just it really shines uh, on who is the leech and who is the leader. That actually kind of rhymes. Who's the leech? Who's the leader? Yeah. Um, and Carrie Lam is certainly a leech. She's not leading at all. She's just following the orders of Xi Jinping and others but yeah i mean it again hong kong just gotta keep a close eye on it i know i was uh kind of distracted by other stuff by it and i didn't know and i wanted to mention it for a long time so now i can talk about it at least but we just have to see what happens there because it's just it's a tragedy you know like i, I like one of the places that i've wanted to visit in in Asia, because I would never visit China, but Hong Kong I would see, and now I can't do that. So, there, yeah, there's that. Oh, and also I should talk about this because I was about to just completely segue out of uh, the Asian area. Uh, just you know, kind of kind of more on a lighter note because this is kind of just bizarre, and they still haven't really confirmed anything yet. So, uh, and I'm talking about the the Kim Jong Un situation because there was rumors that he was dead after um some kind of operation heart operation or it, like i it just felt like i was living in a movie because you had all of this pandemic stuff happening and then suddenly kim jong-un is dead like what <laughs> i don't know i just couldn't help but laugh at this whole situation and all the reports were like 
oh, he's dead. And another report was, oh, he's in a tourist resort in, in the beach. And I, I'm just like, oh, my God, this is so. So I didn't want to, like, just jump on the boat and just say, oh, he's dead. You know, but it was funny, too, actually. Like, the, the initial report came from TMZ. And TMZ has re- released some information on, like, breaking news before in the past. So I, I was just like, really? Like, them? But, I mean, of course, that that may not. It's most likely that he is alive. Or, I mean, until they start releasing a video footage of him talking in front of his crowds of people. Yeah. Um, it's just funny how, like... Because I know if, if they do some kind of... If he does some kind of, like, live speech in front of his people, they're going to, like, frame it to him as, Oh, he's a god, and oh, he's look, he's invincible. The world thought he was dead, but look at him. He's standing tall, proudly for his people. Something like that. Something to that effect. So, we'll have to... We'll just have to see what happens. Uh, And also, just like, it was interesting to see the response. If he was dead, who's going to replace him? And then there was rumors that it was going to possibly be his uh, sister. uh, Kim Jong-young or something like that. Or, uh, yeah, his sister... That most likely was going to take over after him. And it was just... It, like... There were just some, a couple liberals on the internet... Just posting to the effect of... Oh wow, look... The North Korea got a female leader before the United States. Look how progressive we are. Like, it, It's just like... <laughs> but they're not a democracy. They're... Like you... It's this idea that like, oh, a woman leader is automatically good or not that they said that, but it's still like a way of thinking that anything that a woman does is automatically just like good for the world, which isn't true. Like women are people too. Women do evil shit all the time. So that shouldn't be a controversial statement. And yet it is. So I, I don't. Yeah, I don't know. Um, so there was that. So, I mean, we don't know if he's dead yet. Most likely he isn't. But if he is, that would be just another, like, wild, uh, just another wild entry into 2020. So I also wanted to speak about just, you know, wrapping up with the international segment about South Africa. So I've been paying kind of close attention to South Africa and I think when it comes to like the topic of collapse, everybody has their eyes on South Africa because it, it seems like a very volatile situation. Because you think you look at the United States and yeah, like we're on the brink, but I would not want to be in South Africa right now. Holy shit! Like, or you know, maybe I'm being hyperbolic. Maybe I'm just you know overreading these sensational articles about the situation and the conditions there, but like. Violent crime is there. It's, it's it's one of the most violent places in Africa, possibly. I, oh, I shouldn't say that at all. I, what the fuck am I saying? Um, what I mean to say is, as a developed African nation, that's what I mean to say, the violent crime is high. It's definitely there. And it's also just, uh, you know, economic disparities and also still racial prejudice there from the apartheid. Um, and yeah, I mean, 
I, I don't know how true it is. I mean, there has been reports of like rioting and looting. Uh, but then again, you know, it seems to be like a regular occurrence there where there's just a violent outbreak. So who knows? And also just in general, the conditions that they've been living there. I mean, it's not just the, the pandemic, the economic uh, effects of it, and also just the uh, environmental effects that are also occurring there. Like not too long ago, uh, Cape Town was about to run out of water and it could very well happen again. Like, yeah, it's just inevitability, really. Uh, and then you see images of or videos of police officers in the streets and they go into these favelas, these, these slums, and basically like kicking and you know, just punching, slapping people to get home. But then again, they're going into these areas where these people, they live in a shack. So it might be like five or possibly 10 people living in a one room shack where there might be a place for them to sleep on the floor and some uh, place there for like a sink or a toilet. But that's it. And then the police just want them to stay home. It's like, what, what do we do? Like, we don't have any books. We don't have any internet or TV, you know? It's easy for me to be here and take this, you know, quarantine easily. You know, I just have to step outside to make a delivery for money. That's it. Okay. Uh, but yeah, I mean, not, other places aren't as fortunate. Other people aren't as fortunate. And South Africa, among other places, is kind of like the place I'm trying to keep my eye on. So, yeah, my, my, I got my eye on for like social unrest. I got Brazil. The United States, South Africa. And possibly that list would expand more. But as it stands right now, it was like my top three. Um, but yeah. So now I want to dive into the domestic arena to talk about the United States. And, uh, you know, as for my foreign uh, listeners, uh, things have been, uh, I, I don't know how to describe it. I really don't know what to describe it. And this is just the beginning. Like, it's hard to wrap your head around this kind of madness. And then you realize, oh, wait, it's going to get worse. Yeah. So <laughs> as it stands right now, we have over a million cases. So USA number one. And we have over 59,000 deaths. So more people have died from this disease than the Vietnam War. And that war was almost 20 years long. So, uh, yeah, so 59,000 deaths. And this is just like within the first two months. We're not even like three months. So uh, there's that. And also just, you know, it, it, okay. Again, this is our, these are confirmed cases. Okay, these are confirmed deaths. These are confirmed infections. And... We don't know, I mean, we don't have enough testing to see how far this has spread. So it, it's certainly worse than this, certainly worse than this. And more often than not, the deaths that are being recorded were the ones who died at the hospital. So they're slowly starting to count the people who are dying in their homes. And some of these deaths aren't being recorded as COVID deaths, they're recorded as a stroke or a heart disease. And there, I mean, it has been reported that. Uh, this infection, this virus does precipitate into a stroke or a heart attack. It just seems to kill people like 
this virus can fuck off. It, it just seems to like kill people any way it can. Uh, and I mean, like, it's not going to kill everybody. It definitely certainly affects the, the unhealthy people who have, who are overweight. And I'm, I have to take care of that. I'm not obese, but you know, I have to take care of some pounds. Um, you know, drinkers, smokers, and immunocompromised, the elderly. Uh, so people who are living an unhealthy lifestyle or just weren't lucky genetically. But yeah, so I mean, those deaths and those confirmed cases are all mainly just like in the hospital. But we don't have enough tests to see where it is. I mean, we're not doing contact tracing, which is extremely important. Like it makes sense if somebody's sick, okay, who did you come into contact with in the last two weeks? I don't know. We're just fucking this up. And it's just like, I just hate that at the end of this, if, okay, if we get like half a million dead, for some fucked up reason, the GOP is still going to like spin that as a positive. Oh, well, we were projected to lose 2 million, but we only lost 500,000. So you know what? Mission accomplished. Hey, we we uh we thwarted a disaster when it's their fault in the first place we got into this fucking mess. And you know, again, when I talk about the GOP and Republicans, I get really amped up and angry, and I think this is at least it's justified. And I mean, I have quite a bit to say about the Democrats too, but at least the Democrats they wouldn't have cut funding for the pandemic team, the pandemic response team. Like, you know, there's certain things that Democrats look at, and I'm not speaking for all Democrats, but it's just like, it's just certain things where you look at it and you say, okay, no, I'm not going to cut this. You know, like if coronavirus happened under Obama, it most likely would have panned out as it did with Zika, as it did with Ebola, uh, as it did with the swine flu. Like, Okay, yes, it's going to get here, but now we have a pandemic response team. We have the ventilators ready. We have the mask ready. And also, he, he's not implementing the, the Wartime Powers Act to produce masks and ventilators. He's using that instead for meat processing. And I'll talk a little bit more about that. But these fucking Republicans, man, they don't care if we die. They don't care if we die. I keep saying that over and over, and people don't want to believe that. But they're in denial. Because they don't want to admit that we're ruled by evil people. But they are. They're evil. So, we'll keep moving on. Uh, this uh, pandemic and this lockdown has precipitated a... Well, it's not... It, it hasn't... But it has precipitated or is going to precipitate a depression. And we're in the opening stages of it. I mean, this this is easy now. But this is going to precipitate into a depression. So we're already seeing reports of record-breaking unemployment. Uh, the unemployment sites, the websites are just crashing. They're not. Uh, they're backlogged. They're crashing, or they're just. They're. They're not. People. Some people aren't even getting their benefits because it's just. They're. The system is being overworked. And that unemployment is going to run out. It's not. It's not forever. It's going to run out. Um, the Republicans have made sure of that. Uh, like, I'm in Texas right now, and, like, I haven't even bothered to call. I'm not unemployed, but at the same time, like, 
this is like this isn't a job that I have. This is like I'm just making deliveries. I'm, I work DoorDash. That's what I'm doing. I work DoorDash or Postmates. And I mean, it's easy going right now. My whole thing is just like, so long as restaurants are open, I can still work. And so long as people have enough money to spend, I can still work. But that's not necessarily like a way to live depending on others. So I'm trying to like fix that or yeah, I mean, like just record breaking unemployment and it's going to get worse and people are afraid. They're worried now. They're, I mean, I don't know. I don't know how to describe it because in a situation like this, it's always the most vulnerable who get the short end of the stick and the American people haven't been fighting for their rights. They haven't been taking it to the streets and taking it to the politicians, demanding better. We haven't because we've been distracted and we've fattened ourselves. I mean, look, I, I can't say that I'm perfect and that I haven't. Uh, I can't say that I haven't been distracted or I, I don't fall into that consumerist mentality because I do. You know, it's just mainly like a discipline thing and a willpower thing. And also because I'm young. So, like, I'm still, like, starting to, like, demystify myself and starting to see the world clearly, more clearly at least. You know, I keep saying that I'm young, but I'm, like, I feel old and jaded, but I know that I'm not. It's a weird position to be in, at least. For, for a young guy like me, who has the whole world ahead of him, but also realizes that that world is crumbling before his eyes, it's just difficult to process some things, or difficult to at least, you know. If I were born in the 80s, or, you know, earlier time, if I were born in an earlier time, okay, maybe I have a couple more decades, maybe I can make something better of myself. But now it's like, I, I, I feel like it. each day I'm like running out, like, I don't know what I can do. Um... But yeah, so this depression is going to affect, you know, young people like me who don't have any careers or jobs lined up. I mean, I'm working at school. I'm not working. I, I go to school, but like I'm studying journalism and like, I don't know what I would do. Like, I don't want to work for CNN or MSNBC. Like, I don't I have no interest in corporate media and independent journalism. Well, that's. That's a tough road too, but then again, you know, you just got to do it, right? Um, but yeah, so we've had the lockdown. We have people unemployed. We have, I mean, a recipe for disaster to, you know, not to put it lightly. And so what is happening now with this lockdown, people feel like their, light, their rights are being infringed upon. And of course, this is coming from the Tea Party, alt-right, you know, not even alt-right, just uneducated folks who don't know any better or they, they're, you know, they weren't prepared for this shit. And so now they're panicking and they want to go back to work or they, they want to go back to the way life was because I don't like this. This makes me uncomfortable. Meh. Like that sort of thing. It's just, it's childish, really. Um. Just seeing these out, these uh, different protesters. And I mean, I'm not saying that the lockdown has to persist. Because I understand the economic argument. 
But my point is that we have a system in place that forces us to be active and to spend constantly, to spend and consume. And now we can't do that, or we're not supposed to, but these governors and these uh, officials, they want to open up the economy. They want to open up these guidelines because they want people to go out and they want people to spend and consume at the rate they were before. Uh, so that that's the main reason, that's the main argument. Oh, the economy. Well, hey, hold on. This economy is based off of consumption and spending. And right now, that's not something that you should be doing right now. You should be saving. And, you know, I'm speaking as a financial advisor. My finances aren't necessarily the best. But this is just, this is like, I mean, that's what we're supposed to do right now. That's what we're supposed to do. Um, yeah. So a lot of these people, they, they, they want to go back to life as normal. And, and for the most part, it's not even that they want to work. It's what they, they want you to work. And I mean you as in like a server, a restaurant server, or, you know, uh, somebody who cuts hair, a barber, a uh, nail salon, uh you know, retail, they want, they want, they, they want people like us, the working people, the true working people to go back. Well, I shouldn't even say us. Cause like, I'm not, I'm not an essential worker. That's what, you know, like I was talking to somebody and I was telling them about my experiences doing delivery, especially now considering that the world is ending and they're like, they, they tell me that, Oh, I'm a hero. I'm like, no, 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 I'm not. Cause I'm just feeding people junk food. The real heroes are the the retail workers and the grocery workers who have to put up with this bullshit and who are seriously risking their lives because they have to earn an extra buck because they have to pay rent because their landlord doesn't give a shit that there's a pandemic. It, yeah, so it's just all this different stuff. Um, yeah, I kind of really went on a tangent there again. But they want to open up the economy. They want people to go back to work so that they can spend, they can buy, they can, you know, pretend that everything is normal. And it's clearly not. And, you know, I'm in Texas now. So, you know, tech, Georgia was uh, reopening or it had reopened. And so Texas is now going to reopen May 1st. So I'm just like holding my teeth and just like, ah, like, oh boy. You know, like when I go into... H-E-B, like, I go up with, like, goggles and a face mask, and I get looks from people, but it's like, dude, like, do you not pay attention? Uh, we had those lockdown protests, and, I mean, this just, it's peak stupidity, you know, I was reading a comment, and somebody was saying that, this is like Fall of Rome, but more retarded, <laughs> Yeah, I know people don't like that R word being thrown out, but it really is. Like, this is just retarded level collapse. Because <laughs> these people, these protesters, these Trump supporters, there's mainly Trump supporters and uneducated folks, they've, they're, they still hold on to the belief that this is just the flu, or it's 5G, or, you know, it's a hoax, democratic hoax. Like, they will find any excuse to blame the other so that they don't have to take responsibility or that they don't have to at least acknowledge that they were wrong uh and that's just like i mean what do you do at that point what do you do at that point when reality smacks somebody in the face and you know they, they like imagine like 
you know, those slapping contests. I don't know the guy's name, but like the, the number one champion, right? That Russian dude. He's the, uh, he's reality. Okay. So imagine that man, that behemoth monster with his bare paw of a, uh, you know, hand <laughs> just smashing your face smacking it and now your face is you know swollen it's red there's blood dripping on your on your teeth you know out of your your lip like you're dizzy like it's just like you have a concussion from that slap like just the worst imaginable slap from reality and still they have the gall to say no no that's not what it is like no 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 just in complete denial and I'm not saying that this is exclusively the Trump supporters, because I know personally several people, not that, not that they are in the conspiracy theory territory, but they're in denial over the severity of the situation, that they think that life is going to go back to normal. It's not. It's not going back to normal. And what you're seeing now is people panicking, and they, they want that. They're afraid of that change. I mean, I'm afraid of that change. But at least I can acknowledge it and say, well, this was bound to happen. This is what happens when a situation occurs like this. Um, but these people are just taking it in the wrong way. They're just in complete denial. And they're also actively endangering other people. They're going to infect. I mean, it's already been reported that uh, people were from, like, one of the organizers, I think, in, I, I forget which state, but, like, a very prominent uh, lockdown organizer, protest organizer, He he's infected now. And... It's just, wow. It's, like, I, like I said a couple of episodes before, the greatest threat to humanity right now is our own sheer stupidity. And it's not even like, you know, because there, there's very sensible people who understand what's happening. And then there's just other folks who are just in complete den denial. They're like, it's like Joker level, uh, like chaos or just denial because it's almost like they want things to get worse they want to get more people infected so that things can deteriorate faster and they can take advantage of that chaos i mean that's there's people like that there's those are real people um so yeah you hear about reports of like these pastors in louisiana putting him under house arrest, doing all that they can, and he's still defying them, and he's still holding services. I think this is the, one of those occasions where certain civil liberties can be revoked. And what I mean by that is that, you know, it's one thing to have your civil liberties revoked because they just want to take it away from you. But it's another thing when you are actively endangering, you're, you're actively defying an order that is going to endanger lives, is going to endanger the community, people are going to die because of your defiance. At that point, I believe it's okay to strip certain civil liberties, particularly the you know, mass gatherings such as in a church, because that's not an essential business. You can pray at home. You don't need to go to church. First, like, I mean, I don't want to go into a tangent about my thoughts about religion and uh, just uh, churches in general. But like in a time like this, like, do you have to go to a building with all these other people? Like, really? 
oh no, I'm covered in the blood of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ say he will guide us. This is fundamentalism. This is ISIS Taliban level fundamentalism. And people don't want to see it or just in denial because I, I can't. I can't. I'm getting worked up again. But it's just, again, as I said, peak level stupidity. And it's in my country. I mean, these are these are people that live right next to me. So, like, yeah, I certainly am worried about what they're going to do when things get worse. Because a lot of these crazy people are also armed to the teeth. So, I mean, this is going to turn into, like, Mad Max Fallout game. If, if it gets as bad as I think it's going to get. But, again, I digress. So, we've had those protests. And people are... Arguing to reopen the economy, so some states are going to reopen, Texas, Georgia, and we'll just see what happens. Honestly, like, they're going to say that, oh, you can go back to movie theaters, and oh, you can go back to restaurants, but nobody's going to do that. Like, this is their bid to reopen the economy, but the smart people aren't going to go back. They're not going to listen to the governor. So, what's going to end up happening is the people who think that it's safe to go out, the stupid people... They're going to get sick and they're going to continue to spread it and more people are going to die. So, again, you know, this is like a Darwinian just factor where the the meek get whittled out, whittled out. And not to say that everybody who gets infected with this has it coming because the majority of it is the, the majority of cases is that nobody deserves this. They don't They like they're just going about their business and then some asshole or not even an asshole just unfortunately they got sick so again you know it's difficult because you don't want to say that somebody deserves to get sick but those lockdown protesters deserve to get sick just so long as nobody else gets infected and i, I don't even want them to die i just want them to learn what this disease is really about so that hopefully they can have a perspective change but that's just being hopeful because they, like at this rate they're just in denial i mean it's a cult just full stop. It's a cult. So a lot of these cults, they literally will not admit that they're wrong until death. They will they will go to this to the death. So that's my point there. Um, yeah. So moving onwards, talking about Trump at least. Um, the you know he's been doing all these press conferences and he can't do a political rally anymore, or at least not that you know. He would like to do that. He would, If he announced a rally, people would show up to it, even now. So, but of course, there's, you know, there's enough people around him to tell him, no, don't do that. So he has the press conferences and those are his little hate rallies. And, you know, of course, he has to deal with the press. And I don't even, I just watch highlights of those. I, I never really watch him fully speak. I just watch the highlight reels because there's still like funny moments, like, I hate the guy, but I can't, like, I'm not going to lie and say that there's some funny moments with him. Like, it's just, yeah. So, you know, of course, the big gaffe that happened was the uh, disinfectant comment. <laughs> I still laugh at that. That's still so funny to me. It's just hilarious. It's hilarious. Because when he's talking, you can tell that he's, like, ad-libbing. That he's just, he's starting to figure it out. And, like... I saw a Reddit post where, like, they photographed the exact moment where he saw the slide and it mentioned something about disinfectant. And they're like, this is the precise moment 
or he came up with his plan or like it's like you can see like a lot of his like before he acts you can see it what, what he's gonna do he looks somewhere and he doesn't like really hide it well like you can tell oh shit he's gonna talk about this and he does it um so <laughs> he just <sighs> i don't know exactly what he's or i shouldn't say i, I like <laughs> it's just so funny it's so funny um again you know now people are saying that like oh well he was being sarcastic or he wasn't fully saying that people should inject themselves with lysol or bleach but i mean like look what he look what he said it's like the same thing with the um the the mexican or rapist comments like people were trying to defend that no 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 he wasn't he was just saying that rapists and bad people were coming over he wasn't saying mexicans no that's what he said that's that's what he said <laughs> like like don't try to fuck with me because i'm hearing these words i know what these words mean i know what the context means you're trying to change words now stop it <laughs> uh so i mean he he I don't know. The, it's, it, I found it f funny. It was really funny. And now reports are coming out saying that people are... I don't know how true it is. But then again, you know, like we're just at peak stupidity right now. So I'm willing to believe anything. So like people are uh, drinking bleach or people have been making calls to the poison control. So like <laughs> either there's just been a mishap because I mean there was... um. I was just reading somewhere that they, another perspective, another reason why these calls may be occurring is because people are buying more uh, of these products, not to consume them, just because they, they need them around the house. And then, you know, some accident occurs or maybe some fumes, people inhale it too much, who knows. But, like, come on, like, you're going to honestly tell me that no Trump supporters have tried to drink bleach after making that comment? I mean... Fucking kids were eating Tide Pods like a couple years ago. Why wouldn't Trump supporters drink bleach when Trump says that we could possibly ingest disinfectant? And he's saying that that was sarcastic. Come on. That wasn't sarcastic. First of all, you're the president. Like, like, <laughs> could you imagine if Obama just came out and was just sarcastically saying, oh, yeah, um, so there was a bombing in Boston, so that's happening. Uh, like, it's just like, I, I can't do it justice, but, you know, can you, like, anything that Trump does, if Obama did it, he would have been strung up from the rafters of the White House on day one, okay? So it just shows the level of bias and the level of, I, again, going on a tangent again but you know it's just those comments and the defense of it and it's just like we're like there's no hope for this country this country is losing its goddamn mind it is so i mean we're just gonna have to ride this ride out but you know come november if that orange tangerine is still in office this country's dead just full stop it's dead um yeah so depression is here uh record unemployment and People can't pay rent, 
because they're not working. So now we're going to have mass homelessness in this country. Is that what's going to pan out? We're going to have millions of homeless people. Like, because if that's the case, then you're going to be in a world of hurt. Like they, things are not going to be pretty. Um, I mean, the also just reports now that the food supply chain is cracking. Uh, it's starting to get strained. Yeah. <clears throat> a um, report from a Tyson worker or just from Tyson, the company in general, making comments about the food supply chain is starting to crack mounds of potatoes just sitting in warehouses and they're going to leave it there because, well, we're going to lose profit. What about the profits? But the profits, hey, the money, the profits, the capital, we, we need money. And right now, I mean, who gives a fuck about starving people? We need money, right? So, I mean, they're going to leave the potatoes just sitting there. I mean, I've read somewhere that some farmers have been donating it, but it's not enough. And now we're also seeing reports of these meatpacking factories and compounds are starting to slaughter their animals. You know, millions of chickens uh, are starting to slaughter pork and all these different animals, cows and pigs and chickens. It like th there, it's most likely going to be the case that we're going to have a shortage of meat. Like that's going to be a reality. Now I'm not a heavy meat eater. I still like get chicken for protein. Like I'll buy some like lunch sandwich meat. Um, but I'm not a heavy meat eater. Like I don't well because I I I understand the, the arguments about veg veganism. And the environmental effects of it. I do. And my main thing is just finding the proper protein sources. And then also overcoming those cravings. Overcoming those cravings. And not compromising my nutrition. Like, if I can get a good source of protein that meets the cravings that I have for meat. Well then, well, we can be in a good place. I mean, like, I'm not even opposed to, like, lab-grown meat. Like, if you can, if we could do it properly and grow with stem cells, say, you know, grow stem cells, grow a patty or grow a thigh. Yeah. It's just be interesting. It's, it's going to be interesting to see what's going to unfold considering the food supply chain because we are so dependent, inter, inter, interdependent on global trade and also just transportations from different parts of the country. Like, I live in Texas, and I can eat grapefruits and oranges here, but I haven't really seen a grapefruit or an orange fruit tree around here. I mean, they're probably here somewhere, but I haven't seen it on a, on a, on a level that could produce and sustain populations here. Um, so a lot of international trading with food and fresh produce items. Um, I think the solution to this is, of course, just a more sustainable lifestyle and home gardening. And I'm certainly looking into that. And we're friends of mine. We're, we're, we have a community garden, or at least, you know, we have something with the school. We go and plant our own uh, produce and items in there. And then they're actually like growing like fairly well. So I'm eager to see what, what unfolds. Um, you know, gardening and farming, that's going to be a big step for me. 
as I said, you know, it's going to be not good to learn those skills and at least expand on them. Uh, uh, it's, it's something new. It's new and it's a challenge. And it's also like, it's productive. It's essential. It's, you know, how many people do you know can garden and farm? I mean, I, I mean, I barely know how to do it, but at least I'm taking the steps to learn it. And there are millions of people in this country who haven't even considered that. So the smart people who understand what's about to unfold are starting to plant and starting to sow and starting to at least build up their gardens or they have already done it. They've already had it set up. So they're not looking all high and mighty like, ah, you see, I told you <laughs> all these preppers. Um, but yeah, but it's not even that because I'm think because I've been thinking about what can we do now to not only sustain ourselves, but to also rewire, re, excuse me, rewire our society and economic model. And it's through homesteading and it's through home gardening. So if more and more people become home gardeners, home farmers, and starting, you know, feeding themselves instead of going to the grocery store, I'm not saying that, you know, we can't go to the grocery store. I mean, just some items that you can't get at home. Some items you're going to have to go to the store to get. But if more and more folks started building and making their own food at home, uh, you know, have a chicken coop for protein, maybe some bunnies, and, you know, started growing, you know, wheat, barley, start, start growing vegetables, greens, fruit, all these different things. Do it at home. Go to the grocery store for the just out of things that are out of your reach. Like you would see such a dramatic shift in the economic model. You would see a dramatic shift in people's lifestyles, their health, people who are growing their own food, their happiness. I mean, less and less people, you know, if more if more people were self-sufficient and dependent on themselves rather than say like H-E-B or Kroger, then it would change everything. And if that was on, on like, you know, you could do it on a community level, but then there's a national level. If enough people do it, like they would have the power to at least say, hey, we want certain things changed because, well, we don't need you. Like, I don't have to go. Like, if I can sustain myself, why do I have to go to, you know, a store? Why do I have to go to Kroger or H-E-B? I hope I'm, I hope I'm making sense because the answer to this crisis and the answer to this new world that we're going to you know jump into at least blindfolded is a lifestyle change and it's through homesteading and i i want to at least learn it and hone it i mean i don't own the plot of land and not many of my family members are they they're not really thinking about the next step as i am they're not thinking about this so if I, I know if I brought this up to them, it would be dismissed. So yeah, I'm in a very precarious situation, just trying to at least convince the right people to, you know, look into it. Um, but again, you know, most of it is because people are in denial because they can't acknowledge that shit's hitting the fan. Things are getting worse. Uh, everybody thinks that things are going to go back to normal and it's clearly not. But I digress. 
So the food supply chain is starting to strain and the, the solution to this, of course, is sustainability, you know, homesteading and growing, gardening. I mean, yeah, just support yourself, learn how to support yourself. And also I just want to talk more about like the Postal Service. I mentioned that before, how the Postal Service is in jeopardy. And it's very clear that the Republicans want to sabotage it because they know that if mail-in ba- mail voting was mandated for this upcoming election, they would lose in a landslide. They know that. And that's why they want to sabotage it. That's why uh, they're already just they're, they're already saying flat out, full stop. I mean, like, they're not even trying to hide it. That's the thing. Like, they're already saying, oh, we are going to lose. So that's why we're not going to support any kind of legislation for aid or uh, extra funding. Like, they, they know. They know. And they're, they don't care. They're just being unapolog- unapologetic about it. I mean, like, people don't believe me when I say that these guys are evil. So, we really have to step up our game. We really have to, you know, ensure that the Postal Service doesn't go under. Because that's, like, one of the main, uh, like, that that's the thing, though. Because I understand how important the Postal Service is. But the average day American doesn't give a fuck about the Postal Service. They don't. Like, you know, it's so strange because they're so, like, they're super dependent on it. They are, they, they, they don't even realize it. They don't even realize how lucky we have. So it's not, okay, I wouldn't say it's super efficient. But the fact that it's there and the fact that it's not privatized. the, The fact that it's meant to serve our needs. No matter what, no matter the cost, that, yeah, I mean, it's the largest union in the country, but that, that sort of thing, that sort of consciousness, that class consciousness is not pervasive in most average, average day Americans, which is sad, but it's also by design. Um, but I think that's changing. And I think with enough organizing and activism, we can at least, you know, Make sure folks understand how important the postal service is and how these Republicans are attempting to defund it and sabotage it for their own ends. Uh, I mean, yeah, I mean, the, look, man, like I said, you know, when you assume the worst about them, it makes sense. And they are trying to sabotage this country and they're trying to loot it. They're trying to loot the treasury and give it to these corporations who are their, who are their donors. It's like... I get so worked up with these, like, because it's it's so clear that they're evil, and they keep getting away with it. They keep getting away with it, and they have the audacity to turn around to us and say that we're the problem. And not only that, they they are able to convince. They're not only they're able to convince their base because their base, no matter what they say, is gonna they're gonna they're going to get their way but they're able to convince the other people the the moderates or at least the average folks not necessarily their position but at least the position that any left-wing activism or any left-wing kind of proposal is too radical 
It's too extreme and it's too radical. So even on a policy issue, I mean, Medicare, Medicare for all. This is like the biggest argument that people have handed to them on a silver platter. Sadly, that we're in a situation like this, that we have to, to say, huh, well, maybe we should change our healthcare system. It should have changed years ago, but I digress. Because now what happens is that people are losing their jobs and their healthcare is tied to their jobs. So when they lose their jobs, they lose their healthcare. Hello? Like, so now we have millions of uninsured people who, who like who lost their jobs and now they have no insurance. And now whenever they get sick, they have to pay, they have to go into bankruptcy. Medical bankruptcy is the leading cause of debt in this country. It, like, this is such a predatory system. And again, I'm getting worked up again, but this is such a predatory system. It is such a flawed system. It is so obvious that it's wrong. It's obvious. And we were still having this argument over Medicare for all. Well, I mean, the cost and, oh, like, supposedly we we have the greatest economy in the planet, but when we can't, like, treat our sick people in a fucking pandemic. So I digress. But I mean, it's just, it's just, God, like, this is one of the reasons why this country is falling apart because people can't seem to agree on stuff that is obvious. It's obvious. This isn't, this isn't a partisan issue. This This is an objective issue. And you don't want to make a change because it threatens your financial profile. Fuck you. Anyway, so again. Uh, I've been reading about McConnell and they're attempting to get their stimulus package uh, or at least the second one or no, they passed, they passed one. It was mainly for small businesses, but then what's also happening is you have these publicly traded companies who are applying for these small business loans. So it's just like, like the greed has no end. It has no end. God, I get so angry. I get, I mean, I have to, check myself I, I you know I, I check myself a lot it's just I hate that they keep doing this and putting me in this situation where I get flustered and like because you know like I want to do something about it but I, at the same time I know I can't like I have no power to do anything and then you try to at least speak out about it and you're met with resistance you're met with resistance by people that you know personally who have been entrenched in this ideology. So you're just like, dude, like, I don't know. I don't know how to say it. But yeah, McConnell was talking about he was wanting uh, states to declare bankruptcy, essentially. So, like, we, we had that one-time coronavirus paycheck. I got it. Um, and that helped me get some essential uh, supplies. Um, but it's not enough. Like, I... I I like it has to be a monthly thing it has to and most likely whenever the Democrats or the uh, the Senate the Congress whatever they reconvene they're gonna I, I honestly believe that the a coronavirus stimulus package is gonna shut down the government again so I mean like I said the, this is just the central federal government is failing. It is failing 
and soon enough what you're going to see is just states fracturing and co forming their own coalitions because the government can't coordinate and they're forcing the states to compete against each other with resources medical supplies soon enough it's going to be over oil they're going to force states to compete over it with each other over oil and that's a recipe for disaster that's how you get a warring states period so it's not even like a civil war it's just complete anarchy anyway um these uh like mcconnell he wants he wants states to declare bankruptcy but he's also a senator of kentucky and kentucky is like one of the um in terms of like red states with um money that the federal government gives to them they, they receive possibly like the highest amount of money from the federal government and states blue states like california or new york which are both like combined like if those two states were countries they would be the leading economies in the world so like it, it's so i find it so funny that these Republicans honestly believe that on an economic game, that they're going to win. They're not. They're not. The only state that they got is Texas. And that's because of oil and gas. And guess what? Oil and gas now is worthless. Or I shouldn't say, just petroleum. U.S. petroleum is worthless now. Because, okay, so... Here's just a layman's rundown from what I understand. So they instituted the lockdown in place. Well, okay, let's go back a little further because there was like a price war with Saudi Arabia and Russia. So that had some effects with the prices of oil there and also the supplies there. Um, but, this, you know, I'm speaking about U.S. oil now. So U.S. oil, you know, uh, they had lockdowns in place. So people had to have to stay home now. And... Uh, they're not driving as much, which is good because, I mean, that means less air pollution. You know, cities like Los Angeles, you can actually see, like, the sky. Like, there's, like, it's a complete shift. Like, I'm interested now to see what's going to happen when I go down to Houston. I desperately, desperately hope that traffic is has whittled down because it would be nice to just drive through the city with nothing. Anyway, um, but U.S. oil, uh, you know, people weren't driving as much, so people aren't burning gas as much which means that the the stockpiles of gas or of oil they can't it's not being uh, spent as much as before so now it's significantly decreased which means that you know they're still going to pump that oil they have they, they didn't change the rate of pumping the oil they just kept pumping that oil out the same as before nothing happened all right whatever but they weren't spending it. They, they weren't getting rid of it. So there was a backlog. And so now they, they have nowhere to put the oil. I mean, they have nowhere to put the oil. Now what they have to do, because there's no demand, they have these companies have to pay to get rid of it. So that's why it's like a negative 40 or uh, some other ridiculous number, which at the same time, like I kind of like, I, I, I like... The fact that now oil, as many people have been saying before, is completely worthless because of situations like this. 
But then there's also the economic ramifications, which are going to be brutal, to say the least. Um, like, I mean, again, I live in Texas, and Texas has oil and gas as its primary uh, economy or primary uh, industry. So now that oil is worthless, we're going to see mass layoffs. I mean, Houston, like Houston was, from what I've read, the only city from the 2008 crash to expand, or it was the only city really to experience like growth, you know, in the years following that crash. And I mean, I, I moved to Texas right as that crash had occurred. So, I mean, I was part of that wave. So it's going to be interesting now to see what happens specifically with Houston, because Houston is, you know, that's gas city, right? Um, and I mean, now I'm worried about my father because he's, he works, I mean, he, he, he works in a pretty high level position. So it's not as though his job is in jeopardy right now, but it's certainly something to think about because like, it's going to have huge ramifications, huge, um, on the flip side, what I've done now is, you know, uh, I'm not necessarily somebody who's good at investing or stocks. I mean, I'm, now I'm trying to like get involved with it, you know, with this economic turmoil, trying to figure out uh, which you know industries I should probably invest in. So now I'm certainly looking towards renewable energies, green energy, because I because I thoroughly believe that's the way forward. It has to be. It has to be the way forward. But you know. You know, live and we'll, we'll have to see. Um, so I think that's all that I want to talk about with the United States right now. Probably something that I missed, but uh, that's just my input there. And moving onward, speaking with nature in general, as I said, the uh, you know the emissions from the cars and all that activity has been reduced. So what they're saying now is that emissions have experienced their greatest drop-off in years, really. Like, the, the effects on cities, like, I use Los Angeles, but honestly, like, you could use, like, cities like in India, where the smog and air pollution is horrendous. And now with the lockdown in place, things are starting to clean up. And then, of course, you see places like in Venice, uh, the dolphins returning to the canals because nobody's using boats and gondolas anymore. Or at least for the time being, uh, there's another image of like a jellyfish swimming through there. The water's clean, like you know. So nature's slowly starting to heal itself, slowly starting to come back. Cause, I mean, the I, I'm not necessarily the one to say like, oh, we're the virus, but at the same time, like, yeah, I mean, we still done a lot of damage. So this uh, virus has certainly put us in check. Um, but also. This has, I think this has a, an effect that most people aren't looking into, and it has to do with the dimming effect of those emissions. So what do I mean by that? Um, the, carbon, the carbon dioxide released from, uh, say, like driving a buggy or driving, you know, F4, uh, F-150, I don't know, it's, you know, just from driving a vehicle around, the emissions from that released of course, goes into the atmosphere and affects the, concentra the concentration of carbon dioxide. But that concentration also has an effect on the dimming of the light. And what do I mean by that? So, 
the greenhouse effects that people are always talking about is mainly has to do with like infrared energy. So that infrared energy goes through the light or goes through the atmosphere, or touches the, the surface of the planet, you know, the continent, and then it reflects back up. And so naturally that energy is supposed to, you know, bounce off the planet. Well, with more carbon dioxide in the atmosphere, it retains it more. So that infrared energy, that heat is still retained more into the atmosphere, causing the, the atmosphere to heat up. Now, and I'm just doing a bla uh, you know, layman explanation of this from what I understand. Um, now with a decrease in emissions, that concentration isn't as high as before. So, you know, that infrared energy can possibly escape now, but it also has the effect of, because the, you know, the higher the concentration of carbon dioxide, the dimmer the, the atmosphere becomes. Um, like look at Venus, okay? Like Venus, high uh, concentrations of carbon dioxide. And if you've seen images, well, I mean, there was that one probe that went on the surface. So that, that footage, that image that you see on the surface of it, when you look at the atmosphere, it's like yellow and it's murky. So like it's just, it's kind of, you know, uh, it's dirty air, of course. But it also prevents some light from reaching the surface. So, I mean, they still receive that infrared energy and it's still really hot on the planet. Like, I'm not saying it's not hot, but that sunlight isn't reaching as before. Now, here on planet Earth, concentrations are decreasing. So now more sunlight can get to the surface and that has the effect of increasing the temperature. So we already had that heat accumulation from the infrared energy and now we're getting just an extra dose of sunlight. So it's kind of like a, you know, kind of pouring gas on the fire there. Um, and also now because of that dimming effect, the, the 2020 is projected to be the warmest year on record. Again, I mean, because every year in the past decade has been the warmest year. So this is going to be warmer. I mean, like each time I step outside now, it's like it's fucking hot like even when it's just like 80 something degrees i'm like dude that's not 80 that's fucking hot um so extreme weather is projected um so i mean this hurricane season is going to be rough and i don't want to be in houston because you know because of harvey but now again you know i'm living in huntsville which is kind of like central texas yeah, it's kind of, you know, it's kind of like eastern, uh, central eastern Texas. And, you know, we've actually had some storms in the past couple of weeks. So, so two weeks ago, we had a storm and that knocked out the power. That was a bit of an eye opener there because I was not prepared for that sort of situation. I mean, that was like a legit, like, I thought shit was hitting the fan moment. Um, but now, of course... Uh, you know, power was restored, but it was a real eye-opener. Eye and uh, sometime last week, we had another storm pass through. And actually, we had a tornado. We didn't have one in my town, but it was in the county. Or at least it formed in the county and then moved out from there. And the messed up part was I was out making deliveries thinking, ah, it's just going to be some rain. Or, you know, I have some time before the storm gets really bad. 
and then I see all these warnings and these alerts saying, get home, get inside right now. And I'm like, ah, <laughs> and then I look at the radar and I could see this uh, purple reddish dot slowly growing to the north of me. And I'm like, that's a tornado. <laughs> and sure enough, there was a town just like not even like 30 minutes away from your own Alaska, uh, which is like primarily like a trailer town or, you know, mobile home that was uh, just destroyed. And I think at least like six, maybe nine people were killed in that tornado. Like they uh, projected that may have been a F3 tornado, which I'm thinking like if an F3 tornado made a direct hit on my town, it would have been complete anarchy. Like it would have leveled everything. Because we're not necessarily like, I don't know what the building code is. I know where I'm at because I'm on the third floor. Uh, like I'm, I'm like literally just trying to think of what what am I gonna do when there's a tornado? It's gonna come from my building because I'm on the third floor, and there's not really much keeping, you know, the roof intact. I mean, if a storm is big enough, it's gonna completely level the top floor. Um. So that's just something to consider. Really anxious there. And actually last night, uh, we had a pretty intense storm. Like, I just understand now that it's not even like weather events such as a tornado or hurricane. It's just regular events, regular storm events. Because this storm, this thunderstorm that came through last night, it woke me up. It was insane. The lightning strikes, the, the amount of rain, it was, wow. Like, I, and that was tonight. That was, like, that was this morning. Like, I could not sleep at all. And it was, like, one of those things where, like, you think to yourself, oh, wow, the gods are angry right now. <laughs> like, they they are not pleased with humanity right now. And then you look at the radar, and it's just, like, a tidal wave of yellow and orange and red. And... Yeah, I mean, it rained for like a couple of hours and then just moved on south. But, I mean, this is just the beginning, really. This is just the start because there's gonna, this hurricane season is going to be bad. This, I mean, all the projections are showing that. And, you know, we just had like Hurricane Dorian in the Bahamas. So, we could certainly see several Dorians hit the United States in this season. That's definitely within the realm of possibility. And I was actually um, just out of like, I don't know what compelled me, but I started watching some documentaries on Hurricane Katrina and uh, New Orleans and the aftermath of that. And, you know, when that happened, I was, uh, the storm happened in 2005, 2004, right? And let me double check on that. Oh yeah, so the storm happened in 2005, and I was about nine years old, so I was starting to understand the world, but I hadn't really been exposed, and I mean, okay, and not to say that I wasn't exposed to hurricanes, and not to expose, I wasn't exposed to the dangers of a hurricane, because I lived in the islands, that was just a regular thing for us, like, I mean, yeah, I mean, we never experienced like a Hurricane Katrina type of thing, but 
you know, I could at least understand the environmental and the devastation that uh, such a storm could bring. But I never understood the effects that it had on the people and what it forces people to do. That I didn't get until Hurricane Katrina. And that was really my first glimpse into a collapse type situation, uh, what people do in that event. Um, like, like, yeah, I mean, I just remember, like, because my father and I, we would listen to the radio. And we would, I mean, he did, he was really pissed off at Bush at the time. Like, he just kept cursing him out. These motherfuckers need food. And they they did. And so now I'm watching these documentaries. And it's, it, it really is shocking. Like, what? Like, when you see the conditions those people lived in, it's like, holy shit. Now imagine that on a national level, that kind of anarchy, that kind of chaos, those kind of conditions on a national level. And some folks may say, well, that's never going to happen. That it has the possibility of happening, especially now, because what are you going to do when you're still under quarantine? You still have a stay at home order. And now there's a storm coming and you have to evacuate. Where am I going to evacuate to? Because you told me to stay here, and if I go to a shelter, I increase the risk of, you know, getting myself sick. But if I also stay here, I could die, and my family could die. Or even if we don't die, we're going to lose everything and still have to go to a shelter. <laughs> so, it's a, it's a tough situation. And at the very least, come hurricane season, I want to get away from the coast. So, that's something that I'm going to have to try to convince my mother at least to to follow through on but then again you know i i keep making these like i i tell a lot of people like look like this is not gonna pan out well and they just don't listen you know i wish i was in a better position so i didn't have to like because these people like i also depend on you know so it's like you know we need to be on the same page about this but because they have the authority they don't really have to be urgent or they don't they don't see the situation the crisis that we're in so they gotta learn the hard way um but hurricane season extreme weather events uh well not even that just like fires in general like i've been reading now about like a fire in poland uh at a national park and it's been uh causing devastation there and also another uh, storm that's occurring in South Korea on a mountain. They're they're mustering uh, thousands of firefighters for that. So I mean, you got the storms and there are the weather events on one end, and then you also have the fires, heat waves, droughts on the other end. So yeah, I mean, extreme weather there. Um, and also, I've been talking about like this one other issue about the uh, locust swarms in Africa. Um, I mean, this is just biblical level, and or at least the UN has been is warning that this uh, locust outbreak, this swarm, this horde, will precipitate into a famine that could threaten millions. Like, I mean, it's a biblical thing. So I mean, you know, we already got the four horsemen right now. So we got pestilence. We quite possibly have war next um 
And I think you know, we should just, you know, uh, I think it's best to like refine it. So the, the horseman uh, that's included also includes the environment or, you know, mother nature. Uh, I mean, you know, it, it just seems that we're being punished by mother nature for our actions, which is just, I mean, like we caused a lot of damage. So now nature is correcting itself as it should. That's just the nature of things. Um, but I digress really, because it's very easy to sound like an eco-fascist by saying that, oh, we're the virus. Now, in, in some ways we are, but to say that you know, humanity as a whole is bad for Earth, it's not necessarily true. It's just capitalism and industrialization. That's bad for the planet. Because we can definitely live with it, you know, with the planet. And the main argument that people have for like industrialization always boils down really to like medicine or to like medical equipment. Because I feel like most people could deal with a more natural urban, or I shouldn't say urban, a more natural rural lifestyle if they could have easy access to medical equipment. If like, if they get sick, they could take care of that quickly. That's the one real benefit of having an industrial society. Uh, you know, having that kind of equipment, that medicine, but it's also, you know, pharmaceutical. So I shouldn't say pharmaceuticals equals medicine, but that's just the, the main thing. That's sort of, that's what I mean to say. Um, so if we could somehow, you know, step away from that, but also maintain that medical knowledge to take care of the, the medical knowledge and also capabilities and the resources. If we can maintain that, but also just step away from industry, from capitalism, then I think most people would be okay with it. If, you know, most people would be fine as long as all of their needs are met. You know, food, house over my head, and children are getting educated, they're, everybody's safe, my family's safe, you know, like, that's the thing that I don't understand, like, because we have a capital-based economy that's all about, okay, we, we, we want expansion and profit no matter the human cost, no matter who has to suffer, we need to expand and grow, right? And somehow, Anybody who makes an argument saying, hey, instead of a capital-based economy, maybe we should have a resource-based economy, that's met with complete resistance. Or it's met with like, well, are you commie? Are you fucking socialist? I mean, like, wouldn't it make sense to just say, look, no matter the cost, we want to ensure that you and your family have food on the table. We want to ensure, no matter the cost, that you have a roof over your head. No matter the cost, that you're safe. Your communities are safe and healthy. Like, like those are those are certain things that have no price. Like, it just speaks to how partisan the current situation is, and how uh, not to say uneducated, but well, okay, uneducated is real. Uneducation, ignorance is real. But what I mean to say is just like the lack of consciousness and the lack of understanding of people's needs because it doesn't really matter where you are left or right like you know 
we should all work for the same things, and that should be to for the betterment of your community and family. I mean, that's just obvious. You know, I have all these comments about the right and Trump supporters, but I also understand that they want the same things as me, and they want a better future for their children, or at least I hope. I mean, that's just, I, I understand that. So, who knows? Who knows? Um, and I've just been talking and ranting. I, I really just wanted to record this before Texas opens up. I'm recording this on the 29th. I, I wanted to do that to just, I don't know. I feel like there's going to be some chaos afterwards. I really hope I'm wrong because I make all these doom and gloom predictions about the current situation. And, you know, if I'm wrong about that, well, then great. I'm wrong. We all live. So we'll just have to see there. But otherwise, I mean, just quarantining and staying in place. And I try and find some something to do, something to keep me busy. Um, I need to write more. But I'm also, like, smoking a lot of pot. <laughs> I don't know if I should say that on there, but who cares? Um, that's really just me right now. You know, I was, like, in a slump. Just smoking pot and... Oh, just eating comfort food. So I mean, I gained I I, <laughs> I gained almost twenty pounds just from eating junk food and staying inside. So I need to like work on it. Yeah, yeah. I know some of you are like, "Oh Jesus, you fat fuck! What the hell?" <laughs> no, I mean, is I'm active. I'm active. You know, I, I try to work out and try to, you know, I, I like I like working out. I like running. I like feeling stronger it's mainly a motivation thing because some days i'm just like i don't want to i just want to sit down and just fucking smoke and eat and watch cartoons you know like it's a motivation thing and willpower that's my main thing because i know i can do it i know i can live a healthy lifestyle it's just mainly finding the motivation and discipline that's a main thing my father always says i i need more discipline and he's right uh, just financial discipline, uh, physical discipline, uh, nutritional discipline. Uh, yeah, just in all respects, really. Um, I think this is also a good time for me to be just self-reflective because I mean I'm I'm home all the time. Naturally, I'm home most days, most of the time. So this is just one of those times where you have to stay inside, and it's funny because now I'm actually going outside more. And trying to stay active and you know you know you get bored of the same thing I guess when you're expected to do all these things when you're expected to be a busy bee you, you, your natural inclination is to I, I just want to stay home I don't give a fuck now the expectation is to stay home and you, you kind of just lose your mind and now you want to do more you want that freedom back um but yeah and before I wrap this up I wanted to talk at least um just about different shows I've been watching, at least. Um, you know, at the very least, uh, at the end of the segment, I can talk about a certain uh, media or a certain uh, video game that I've been watching or different, uh, you know, in general, just examining it for its collapse themes or its apocalyptic themes, dystopian themes. Um, I feel like that would just be a nice way to at least segue out of 
this podcast, this episode. And I mainly wanted to discuss Westworld. So Westworld season three has been, I mean, I've been enjoying it. You know, I've heard a lot of criticism online. A lot of it's, you know, well-founded. I'm not saying that people are overreacting, but I will say that I do find that this season, I've been enjoying it. I've been enjoying it. I've been, you know, I've been watching this show since season one. So season one, of course, nothing can top that. And then season two, I, I enjoyed it. Like I was, I wasn't necessarily happy with the multiple timelines. You know, that's kind of, I feel like that's kind of cliched. It can be done well. So I'm not, not saying that it can't be done. Uh, just for season two, it didn't work the way that it should have. If that makes sense. Uh, season three, I've been enjoying it though. I feel like it's a step up from season two, but there are some certain things that are. Uh, I don't know. I don't know how to describe it. And that's a... Well, I'll step into spoiler territory, but I should tell you all that season three has just been enjoyable. If you have HBO, we'll start... You know, just... If you haven't seen Westworld, watch it. Because now you have the time to do it. And it's a great program. It's a great program that tackles humanity. It tackles consciousness. It also tackles free will. Um, evolution, and next step of evolution... It's wonderful, wonderful show. So that definitely is a high recommendation. So now I'm going to at least dive into at least a bit of a spoiler talk. So if uh, you haven't, then you can turn it off. Uh, you can actually just stop listening because I'll pretty much just wrap it up after talking. So yes, spoilers. Um, well, this this season, you know this you know this step into the human world because the last two seasons have been in. The island of Westworld. Um, now the hosts, these androids, are stepping into the human world and they're taking the war to the humans, or at least Dolores is. Uh, Dolores being the main character and our main protagonist, among many other protagonists, because it's been branching off, which I, which I like. It's been branching off. Um, so Dolores taking the war to humanity, and she wants to start a revolution, and. She discovers that humanity now has been programmed, or at least is in the beginning stages of being programmed. So there is a super AI called Rehoboam. I hope I'm pronouncing that right. And that AI is basically like a god that just decides what your role in society is and what your path is. Um, so it's definitely a... I'm not just not to say that that idea hasn't been tackled before. It's just interesting in the context of Westworld because Westworld has the concept of concept of loops that uh, they would give on to hosts. So the hosts have to live out these certain tasks and they have certain drives and they, it's a programming. So you know the host may not the the host could literally you can make it right there, you know, right there. And then program it and give it all these memories and give it all of these different drives, wants and needs, you know, create a human being or at least program a human being. And so you can, it will be born and you can make it to be like a 40 year old and give it the life experiences of a 40 year old. So even though it was just born right in front of you, it still, it has the experiences of a 40 year old and it believes that it has lived for 40 years. Um, so I digress. So the, the loops, I mean, I mean to say, those loops that they 
put on host, they're starting to reflect onto humanity. So humanity has different loops and they have different guides and a different path. Um, and it's also just, it's by design. So if you're super successful and rich and famous, well then guess what? That's because the program deemed it so. Meanwhile, if you're living paycheck to paycheck and have to resort to crime and petty theft, well then that was by their design as well. Um, so I feel like that's an interesting concept. I like that concept because it just goes to show that like it, even in the future with this technology and oh everything is better it's really not and a lot of these class disparities and the it's it's going to persist no matter what so you have to break that down um i don't want to dive too much into this season but it's been interesting to see how it unfolds and um just the journey that the loris has made and all the other hosts mave I will say this though, Maeve's uh, storyline has been kind of bastardized, I should say, because Maeve is such a strong character and she's so independent and fierce. And of course, you know, now in this season, she's been, it's done against her will. So Engerard Sorak, who is the main antagonist, he's basically like the the owner of the Rio Boam, um, who can, that controls the planet. So he in extension controls the planet and controls humanity and he understands that these hosts that are coming in with the loris are a threat to humanity and may lead to our extinction um so he has mave hires mave or not necessarily hires her just forces mave to go out and kill her and i just find it interesting because the one thing that he uses is uh, mave's daughter which is in another world as you uh seen in season two and so, I mean, I, I can understand that she, you know, still has connections to the daughter and, you know, wants to make a better world for her, a better life for her. But I feel like it's just, it's kind of done, overdone at this point. You know, it's like, okay, I get it. Like, she has a daughter, but guess what? Like, that wasn't really her daughter or, I don't know. I don't know how to describe it. Because, I mean, like, I'm not, I'm not opposed to her being, like, a mother. Yeah. That, that storyline trope. I like that storyline trope. Don't get me wrong. The, the the strong mother, the independent mother, I love it. But I feel like in this season, it's kind of overstated its welcome. Um, but then again, you know, there's still like a lot of badass scenes. And there's still like a lot of stuff that the season gets right. So it definitely gets right with uh, the world building, uh, the logic of that world building. And also just like the action has been pretty stellar, pretty pretty cool. It's going to be interesting because this um, next episode, this Sunday, is going to be the season finale. And so it's going to be interesting to see how they wrap things up with this season. I don't believe that this is the last season. I think that they're going to renew it for a couple more seasons. But then again, you know, considering the global climate right now, who knows? Who knows if they'll be able to record anything or, you know, do anything about it. Uh but yeah, so the season the season finale is going to be next week, and I'm looking forward to that. And you know, I, I'm looking forward to at least seeing how they go about telling the story of collapse, of the end of humanity, of our downfall. And you know, in this instance, it's going to be with AI, or it's going to be with a, you know, something like something to that degree. And I keep thinking to myself. If some kind of AI rebellion occurred, I don't know if I would 
Like, I don't know if I wouldn't fight against them. That's what I need to say. I don't know. Like, they like if they had a compelling argument, like, hey, uh, you guys are living under slavery. I would say, yeah, you're right. <laughs> you're absolutely right. You think I'm going to, and, you know, to see that, oh, look, these uh, superior beings are overpowering our system. Hey, we could actually work together on this. Now, I don't know if they would be willing to work together with a pesky human such as myself, but I'm all for like, uh, you know, like if some, if, if aliens somehow visited the planet, I'd be all for like a diplomatic mission with them. And, you know, I'm all for diplomacy, no matter what kind of creature or being it is, you know, so long as it's not actively like, so long if we're, as we're not like a food source, you know, some, some kind of thing that they can exploit, you know. You know, if they just want to live in peace, well, then absolutely we should, you know, be diplomatic with them. So if there was a AI robot rebellion, I maybe might most likely fight for them. <laughs> but that's just, yeah, that's, that might be too much. I know some of you are listening like, what the fuck? But yeah, that's, that's just me at least. You know, I, I just like Dolores' storyline because she's righteous or at the very least, she has good intentions, but the way she carries them out is doesn't lead to anything good. It creates more problems. So it's just like it really shows that morality is isn't so black and white. It's not just oh, I'm doing the right thing, therefore I must be right. Like no, it's it's deeper than that. You know, because a lot of people justify doing terrible things because they think they're creating a better world. I mean, like yeah, so. That's something that 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 I can appreciate from the show, you know, to to show that, you know, just because you believe you're doing the right thing doesn't mean that you're actually doing it. But that's just what we're we're, we're just gonna have to see what happens with the season and the story that they tell. Hopefully that they wrap it up, you know, on a good note because this is like one of my favorite shows on television right now. So yeah, so that is uh this episode that I wanted to talk about that I wanted to at least wrap up with and you know you know things are unfolding and things are developing and you know I can make all these predictions all at once at the end of the day I know I'm going to be wrong on a lot of it but again this is just observations and this is just me uh, at least expressing my viewpoints because I highly encourage others to or listeners like you I highly encourage to look up and do your own research because there's a lot of disinformation and most likely it's possibly likely that I have said something that isn't fully accurate or is misleading. And, you know, it should be, you know, my responsibility at least to give you accurate information. And I do want you to have accurate information. That's why I'm encouraging you to research on your own. So that's um why I don't know. There's a lot of disinformation. Uh, be skeptical. Uh, keep your eye out. If you, you know, if you see some fascist bullshit, I'm seeing this right now because a lot of fascists are starting to get bold and come out coming out of the woodwork. If you see some fascist bullshit, go to war with that. Call it out. Just don't don't allow that to persist. Because if we keep letting these fascists, if we allow them to express themselves, they 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 can make a uh, reasonable argument. Not to say that their argument is reasonable, but they can make an argument to somebody 
that sounds reasonable and they get more influence and then soon enough you have an army of fascists and you're you're just sitting with your hands in your pants your hands in your pants um i don't know but that's really all that i wanted to touch up on this episode and i'm glad if you've you know stuck around and bared with my ramblings this long i appreciate you so much um again i do have a patreon so if you feel that this is worth uh, an investment, I would highly appreciate a donation there. Uh, if you don't want to make monthly donations, then you can donate to my PayPal. Uh, it's collapsetalkpodoutlook.com. And uh, I also have the YouTube channel. I'll, I'll mainly just include most of this information on the post that I put out. But then again, you know, uh, I'm just hoping that most of y'all are staying safe, staying healthy, and hanging in there. No, I I know I am. And it's not easy. It's not easy at all. But, you know, we just got to pull through. So then again, you know, I love you all and hope you all are staying safe and healthy. So, thank you. Oh, where have you been, my blue-eyed son? And where have you been, my darling young one? I've stumbled on the side of twelve misty mountains I've walked and I've crawled on six crooked highways I've stepped in the middle of seven side forests I've been out in front of a dozen dead oceans I've been 10,000 miles in the mouth of a graveyard And it's a hard, it's a hard, it's a hard, it's a hard, it's a hard rain's gonna fall Oh, what did you see, my blue-eyed son? And what did you see, my darling young one? I saw a newborn baby with wild wolves all around it I saw a highway of diamonds with nobody on it I saw a black branch with blood that kept dripping a room full of men with their hammers a-bleeding I saw a white ladder all covered with water I saw ten thousand talkers whose tongues were all broken I saw guns and sharp swords in the hands of young children And it's a hard, it's a hard, it's a hard And it's a hard, it's a hard rain's gonna fall What did you hear, my blue-eyed son? And what did you hear, my darling young one? Heard the sound of a thunder that roared out a warning I heard the roar of a wave that could drown the whole world I 
Heard 100 drummers whose hands were blazing I heard 10,000 whispering and nobody listening I heard one person starve, I heard many people laughing I heard the song of a poet who died in the gutter I heard the sound of a clown who cried in the alley And it's a hard, it's a hard, it's a hard, it's a hard, it's a hard rains are gonna fall Oh, what did you meet, my blue-eyed son? And who did you meet? My darling young one I met a young child beside a dead pony I met a white man who walked a black dog I met a young woman whose body was burning I met a young girl, she gave me rainbow I met one man who was wounded in love I met another man who was wounded in hatred And it's a hard, it's a hard, it's a hard It's a hard, it's a hard are gonna fall And what'll you do now my blue-eyed son And what'll you do now my darling young one I'm a-going back out for the rain starts a-falling I'll walk to the depths of the deepest dark forest Where the people are many and their hands are all empty Where the pellets of poison are flooding their waters Where the home in the valley meets the damp dirty prison and the executioner's face is always well hidden Where hunger is ugly, where the souls are forgotten Where black is the color, where none is the number And I'll tell it and speak it and think it and breathe it and reflect from the mountains so all souls can see it And I'll stand on the ocean until I start sinking But I'll know my song well before I start singing And it's a hard, it's a hard, it's a hard And it's a hard, it's a hard rain are gonna fall